ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد In tonight's lecture, insha'Allah ta'ala, we're going to discuss the supererogatory prayers. The prayers which are also mentioned in the sunnah, outside of the obligatory prayers. There are prayers mentioned in the sunnah for a person to pray, outside of the obligatory prayers. Some of these sunnah prayers, optional prayers, are directly linked to the obligatory prayers, the rawatib as they are known as. And there are other types of supererogatory prayers, optional prayers that are open. So there are these supererogatory prayers within al-Islam, that a person should strive upon also. Al-Shaykh al-Fawzad, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentions regarding this. اعلموا أن ربكم سبحانه وتعالى شرع لكم بجانب فرائض الصلوات التقرب إليه بنوافل الصلوات. He says you should know Know about this, that your Lord has legislated for you alongside the obligatory prayers, supererogatory prayers also, to seek closeness to Him. These supererogatory optional prayers, Allah has legislated them for you as another means outside of the obligatory prayers, to seek closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by performing them. فَالتَّطَوْعْ بِالصَّلَاةِ مِنْ أَفْضَلِ الْقُرُبَاتِ Supererogatory optional prayers is one of the best forms of obedience, seeking closeness to Allah with one of the best forms of worship that a believer can do, seeking closeness to Allah is prayer. Obligatory prayers, but then on top of that, the optional prayers too. So this should not be something that the people are negligent of. Rather, these additional optional prayers, the Muslims need to be aware of them, and to perform them, to seek closeness to Allah via them. It's mentioned that on the day of judgment, the first thing that a servant will be asked about with regards to his worship, will be his prayer. The first thing that a servant will be asked about on that day, from his actions will be the prayer. So, Allah will say to the angels, look to the prayer of my servant. 
if it is complete, i.e. the obligatory prayer, then it will be written as complete. But if there are deficiencies within the obligatory prayer of that individual, then Allah will say to the angels, look to the supererogatory prayer of my servant. Look at the optional prayers that he prayed. Because in that way, the optional prayers that he prayed, they can be used to fill the shortcoming and the deficiency in the obligatory prayers. And so it is important that an individual strives on these optional prayers and practices them and performs them. And as we will come to see, the Salaf, they even used to consider that a person who abandons all of the optional prayers, only prays the five obligatory prayers and that's it, and never prays any optional prayers, that this individual has lost his dignity. And that you shouldn't take his word for it if he comes and testifies about things. He's somebody who has no honor, never prays any optional prayers, never prays any sunnah, any nafila, never. Some of the salaf are very strict on that, very strict upon the one who abandons all of these optional prayers, to the extent that some of them may even mention that there could be an element of sin for the one who absolutely abandons the optional prayers, does his five obligatory, no sunnah, no nafila, nothing else on top. So it is important to look at this issue very carefully. The shaykh, he goes on to say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was regular, he was regular and consistent upon praying these optional prayers. So take the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was persistent, constant on praying these optional prayers. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a narration, "Istaqimu walan tuhsu, wa'alamu anna khayra a'malikum as-salah." Be upright and fulfill the obligations Allah has placed upon you, and you're not going to completely manage everything. But be aware, know that the best of your actions is the prayer. Be aware of this fact, the Prophet ﷺ said, the best of your actions is the prayer. One of the reasons why the prayer is such a great act of worship is because it includes within it so many different types of worship. The prayer isn't just one type of worship. Within the prayer, there are lots of different types of worship. So for example, recitation. Do you not recite the Qur'an in the prayer? There is recitation in the prayer. Ar-Ruku' bowing to Allah in the prayer. Sujood, prostration to Allah in the prayer. Physical acts of worship. Dua, do you not make dua in the prayer? That is a part of the prayer and that is an act of worship too. Adhul, 
submitting yourself and understanding and realizing how you are in poverty before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you are just one tiny creation from all of the creation of Allah, that you are just one small thing. You recognize and you realize your poverty in front of Allah. That is also a form of understanding and worship. And also you are calling upon Allah in the prayer. When you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, <coughs> when you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, then it's mentioned in the hadith that Allah has split the Fatiha in two. And that when the servant recites the Fatiha, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replies to him, when the servant praises Allah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, then Allah says, my servant has praised me. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah says, my servant has extolled me. My servant has exalted me. It is a dialogue. So you are calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there are all these various forms of worship all together into this one act of worship, the prayer. Hence, it is such a great act of worship. So when we talk about the supererogatory prayers, you then now realize why it's important to understand what they are, these optional prayers, and that you guard over them as much as you are able, and you perform them as much as you are able. With regards, <coughs> with regards to the supererogatory prayers, these optional prayers, you could say that generally speaking, there are two types. The optional prayers. All of the discussion here is about the optional prayers. The obligatory prayers, we've already discussed them in the previous lessons. The rulings about the obligatory prayers. The Fajr, the Dhuhr, the Asr, the Maghrib and Isha. Now we're talking about the optional prayers, the Sunnah prayers. The sunan, the rawatib, the nawafil, those can generally be categorized into two categories, two types of optional prayers. One of them is salawatun mu'akkata bi'awqatin mu'ayyana. Optional prayers which are mentioned as having particular times to be prayed in. There are certain optional prayers that are to be prayed in particular times only. There are specific times mentioned that this particular optional prayer should be in this time. And this particular optional prayer should be in that time. So there are some types of optional prayers where times are given in the sunnah, this is when they are supposed to be prayed. Then there are other types of optional prayers which are open. Open optional prayers. They are not linked to any particular time as such. You could pray them at whatever time, as long as it is not in the forbidden times, which we will mention soon. So, generally speaking, you could mention there are these two types of prayers. Optional prayers. 
certain optional prayers where times have been given in the sunnah, this is when you should pray them. And there are optional prayers which are open. Open. Not specific to any given time. The first category that we mentioned there, prayers where it has been mentioned, they should be prayed at a particular time. There are many of those. For example, there is the eclipse prayer. There is the eclipse prayer, and that is obviously prayed at a particular time, at the time of an eclipse. Similarly, al-istisqa, the rain prayer, when a drought overcomes an area or region, and so the people, it is sunnah for them to pray the prayer for rain, that is again at a particular time, at a time of drought, you have also the taraweeh, taraweeh prayer. Again it is mentioned when in the day that is to be prayed, the witter prayer and various other prayers of this nature where they are prayed at particular times during the day. They are not just open nawafil. And of course the second category is those open nawafil other than these. So firstly then if we begin with the witter prayer. If we discuss the witter prayer firstly, one of the reasons why we would begin with the witter prayer is because the witter prayer is one of the most emphasized optional prayers. This is one of the most stressed optional prayers in the sunnah, that a Muslim really, really should pray the witter prayer. It is very emphasized, very stressed in the sunnah regarding the witter prayer and the importance of it. Some of the scholars, they even have the opinion that the witter prayer is an obligation. You're supposed to pray it and you can't miss it. But many of the scholars have mentioned it is from the most emphasized of the supererogatory prayers. And the Muslims, no doubt, when we talk about the ruling of that prayer, are agreed. There is an agreement amongst the scholars, the Muslims, about the legislation of the witr prayer. Nobody disagrees and says there's no such thing as a witr prayer. Everybody is agreed upon the legislation of the witr prayer. Here, we see an example of what the Salaf used to say. Al-Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, he mentioned, مَنْ تَرَكَ الْوِتْرَ عَمْدًا فَهُوَ رَجُلٌ سُوءٌ أو رَجُلُ سُوءٌ لَا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ تُقْبَلْ شَهَادَتُهُ Whoever leaves the witter prayer on purpose, just doesn't bother praying it, leaves the witter prayer on purpose, then he is an evil man. Statement of Imam Ahmad, whoever leaves the witter prayer on purpose, just doesn't want to pray, can't be bothered, doesn't pray it, leaves it on purpose, then he is an evil man. It is not suitable to take the testimony of such a person. 
such a person who abandons the witr prayer on purpose, can't be bothered, doesn't pray it, then it is like the Salaf used to say, his dignity is gone. What type of a believer is this? Can't be bothered to pray the witr prayer, a short prayer at the end of the day. Al-Imam Ahmad said his dignity, meaning his uh, dignity is gone, such that you can't take his testimonies. He comes and gives you a testimony about something, don't accept his testimony, don't take his word for it. Evil man, never even praises witr prayer. This is how they used to say, this is what they used to mention. Such is the importance of these prayers. So what is exactly the witr prayer then? The witr prayer, it is a raka'ah, or it could be three raka'at, or it could be five raka'at, seven raka'at, eleven raka'at. The odd number, the odd number, whether it is one or three or five or seven or nine or eleven, the odd numbered prayer at the end of the day, that is the witter prayer. So the witter is the final odd raka'ah, the odd numbered prayer. That is the final prayer of the day. The scholars have mentioned the time for when the witter prayer is supposed to be prayed. And the time for it is when? When does the time for witter prayer begin? Nobody knows when you're supposed to pray witr. After Isha. So the witr prayer begins after Isha. And you can carry on praying it up until what time? Up until the Fajr time enters. Up until the Fajr time enters. And that is mentioned in uh, Al-Bukhari and in Muslim. Regarding how the witr prayer begins in the night. After the Isha, and it can carry on up until the Sahar, meaning the Fajr time entering. And there are many ahadith regarding the witr prayer. Many ahadith regarding the witr prayer and the importance of praying it. And the scholars have mentioned, <coughs> if a person is sure that they are going to get up in the last third of the night, to pray some optional prayer, then they should not pray their witr after Isha. If you're sure, definitely you're going to wake up in the last third of the night, then don't pray your witr after Isha. Pray your Isha, go to sleep, wake up in the last third of the night, pray your supererogatory prayer, and then at the end of it, pray your witr prayer. But if you are not sure, you're not sure, that you will be waking up in the last third of the night. In that case, the scholars say, pray it after your Isha. And there's a narration regarding that. Uh, it is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim of Jabir عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Any of you, if you fear that you won't get up in the last third of the night, then pray your witr, then lie down and go to sleep. وَمَنْ وَثِقَ بِقِيَامِهِ مِنْ آخِرِ اللَّيْلِ فَلْيُوتِرْ مِنْ آخِرِ But whomsoever is certain you're sure, you will be getting up. In that case, leave it and pray it when you get up in the last third of the night. 
فليوتر من آخره فإن قراءة آخر الليل مشهودة وذلك أفضل because the recitation in the last third of the night is witnessed and that is better. So if you are certain you're gonna get up, then leave the witter prayer till later on in the last third of the night. When you wake up, you pray some prayer, pray some supererogatory prayer, some raka'at. Then at the end of it, pray your witter. But if you're not sure you're gonna get up, you're not sure if you're gonna make it up, then in that case, after your isha, pray the witter and go to sleep. That is what the scholars, they mention regarding it. Witter prayer, how many raka'at is it? The minimum witter prayer can be is how many raka'at? One raka'ah. Minimum for the witter prayer, it's got to be one raka'ah. It could be three raka'at, it could be five raka'at, it could be seven raka'at, it could be <coughs> nine raka'at, could be eleven raka'at, and possibly even thirteen raka'at. For these prayers, if it is more than one that you pray, if it is three or five or seven or nine or eleven or thirteen possibly, then in that case the scholars say you should pray in twos, two, give the salam, two again, give the salam, two again, give the salam, until eventually at the end you pray one. So you end up with an odd number in the end. And that is mentioned from various narrations. Hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي بالليل إحدى عشرة ركعة. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray eleven ركعات. He used to pray eleven ركعات. And then يُتِر منها بواحدة. He used to make the witter with one of them. So ten ركعات in pairs. And then the eleventh, the one by itself, the odd number, witter. So then this was in the odd numbers of that nature. يُسَلِّ بِاللَّيْلِ إِحْدَى عَشَرَةَ رَكَعَةً يُوتِرْ مِنْهَا بِوَاحِدَةً Eleven raka'at, and the odd one at the end, making it into the odd number. Also, if a person was to pray with more than just one, there are different combinations that you can do with that prayer. So if a person prayed, for example, uh, nine raka'at, then you can pray eight in a row, eight in a row, no salam, no sitting down, carry on getting up every time, eight raka'at in a row. Then at the end of the eighth one, you sit down and make a tashahud. <coughs> and then get up again. No salam. Eight raka'at in a row. Sit down and make the tashahud and then get up. Pray the ninth. Then sit down and make the full tashahud and the final salam. That is a possibility and it is mentioned in the sunnah. If a person prayed seven or five raka'at, then it's possible not to sit at all. Pray all five in a row, and at the end of the fifth one, just sit down and do the tashahud 
and the du'as and make your salam. Seven raka'at, it is possible to do the same. Pray seven all in a row. At the end of the seventh one, sit down, read all of the sittings or the readings of the sitting, the tashahud, etc. And make the salam at the end. So these types of combinations are possible for that witr prayer. So this is the first one that we'll mention from these optional prayers. And that is the witr prayer. And this is an extremely important prayer. It is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray it even when traveling. So the witr prayer has a great importance and it is one of the most emphasized, most important optional prayers. Then we'll move on to the second type. The second type, the second category we'll mention here from the optional prayers is the taraweeh prayer. The taraweeh. This is also a prayer which you all know about and it is legislated in the sunnah to pray the taraweeh prayer. It is from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ that we pray the taraweeh prayer. And this is also a sunnah mu'akkada. The sunnah mu'akkada meaning that it is an emphasized sunnah. It is something stressed. You should pray it. You really should pray it if you can. That's what mu'akkada means. That it is emphasized. It is stressed. A lot of importance is given to it. So meaning that if you can, you really should pray it. Sunnah mu'akkada. So the taraweeh prayer is like that. And one of the reasons the scholars say it is known as the taraweeh prayer because the word taraweeh in Arabic indicates to rest. And so when they used to pray the taraweeh, they used to rest in between. In between when they used to give the salam from one to the next, they used to take a break in between, a small rest in between. And that is from the Arabic of taraweeh, the word to rest. Because they used to pray very long. The taraweeh prayers were long. So after they finished two or four, then they would sit and take a small rest before starting the next. So that is uh, one of the explanations as to why the taraweeh is known as the taraweeh. Performing the taraweeh prayer in congregation in the masjid. Is that sunnah or is it not? <coughs> is praying the taraweeh prayer in congregation in the mosque better? Or is it better to pray it at home? Nobody knows. Again, if you don't know, what have you been doing all these Ramadans that have gone by? Mm. So, many of the scholars mention that it is better to pray in congregation in the mosque. How about the women? For the sisters? All of this is really a similar issue. Firstly with the men, most of the scholars say it is better for them to come and pray in congregation in the masjid. And there are evidences for that. Some of those will mention them now. 
there are some scholars who may say, looking at the evidences, it appears that actually it is superior to pray at home. What would be the overall general evidence that some scholars may uh, refer to in saying that taraweeh is actually better at home? The hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, the best prayer for a man is in his home except for the obligatory prayers. Obligatory prayers, of course, in the masjid. But the hadith says, otherwise the best praying, best prayer for a man is in his house, except for the obligatory prayers. That's what the hadith says, obligatory prayers in the mosque, in congregation. But the other prayers, supererogatory prayers, the hadith says, in your home. So some scholars say the taraweeh comes under that general ruling, it is a supererogatory prayer, it is an optional prayer. So they say upon the generality of that narration, it is better. You would get more reward praying it at home. But the majority of the scholars, most of them have mentioned actually in this instance, that general narration has other specific types of narrations which highlight to you that actually in this case, even though taraweeh is an optional prayer, it is better for the men to come and pray in the congregation in the masjid. As for the women... Then the narration again is clear. لا تمنعوا إماء الله مساجد الله وبيوتهن خير لهن. Do not prevent. Do not prevent the women, the servants of Allah, from going to the masjid. But their homes are better for them. Their homes are better for them. So if they were to pray at home the taraweeh prayer, then that is completely correct and good, and there is no need as such, or a ruling as such, that the women need to come to the masjid. If a woman wanted to come, then like the narration says there, don't prevent them from coming. A sister wants to come and pray in the congregation, in the masjid, in the month of Ramadan. For many that may be something they feel is better for them in terms of their iman, etc. Then so be it. There is nothing preventing that at all. As long as all of the other things are in place, that there is safety and security for them to come to the masjid, that they will be separate in the masjid away from the men, they will not come with their beautification, and that the fitna, any type of fitna is removed. So as long as all of those other conditions are in place, then of course a woman can come to the masjid and pray in the masjid. But if she was to pray at home, the taraweeh, as well as the obligatory prayers, then as the narration says, their homes are better for them, generally speaking for all of the prayers. So here, coming to the masjid is something the scholars have mentioned is better for the men in the taraweeh prayer. The Prophet ﷺ, he prayed the taraweeh in congregation with his companions for a certain number of nights. One night, two nights, three nights, he prayed in congregation the taraweeh. But then after two or three nights, he didn't come out. Like it mentions in the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, 
Aisha radiyallahu anha mentioned anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam salla fil masjidi dhat layla wa salla bi salatihi nas thumma salla min al-qabila wa kathura al-nas thumma ijtama'u min al-layla al-thalitha aw al-rabi'a falam yakhruj ilayhim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he prayed in the mosque the tarawih and a group of people prayed behind him the next day he came and prayed again, the taraweeh, in congregation. And the congregation was even bigger. Then the third night again, or the fourth night, everybody turned up, but the Prophet ﷺ didn't pray the taraweeh in the congregation with them. He didn't do it. So then, when the next morning occurred, or oh then, when the next morning occurred, قال, قَدْ رَأَيْتُ الَّذِي سَنَعْتُمْ فَلَمْ يَمْنَعْنِي مِنَ الْخُرُوجِ إِلَيْكُمْ إِلَّا أَنِّي خَشِيتُ أَنْ تُفْرَضَ عَلَيْكُمْ The Prophet said, I saw what happened. I saw that all of you were congregating for the congregational taraweeh. And nothing prevented me from coming out and praying with you in congregation, except that I feared it may become an obligation. He said, I feared that this taraweeh in congregation may become an obligation. The revelation may come, making it an obligation. You have to come every night for the taraweeh. So he said, I didn't come out. <coughs> and that was in Ramadan. Then afterwards, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, when the revelation had now stopped, with the death of the Prophet ﷺ, the revelation obviously stopped now, it finished. So now, was there any possibility of any new revelation coming? And saying that the taraweeh is obligatory. No more revelation. So the companions then revived that initial practice. They revived that initial practice of congregating. And there are narrations mentioning how they congregated. And Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu congregated with them in the taraweeh. And they prayed in congregation. So these are narrations that indicate the congregational prayer is something the Prophet ﷺ did. And it is something that the companions did. And there are other narrations which back up the fact that you should pray in congregation. One of them is, مَنْ قَامَ مَعَ الْإِمَامِ حَتَّى يَنْصَرِفْ كُتِبَ لَهُ قِيَامُ لَيْلَةِ Whoever prays with the imam until the imam goes, meaning, prays with him in congregation all of that night prayer, all of the taraweeh, stays with the imam till the end. Then it will be written down for that person as if he has prayed, the whole night. So how are you going to get that reward? By staying and praying in congregation with the imam until he finishes and leaves. That's what the narration indicates. The one who stays and prays in congregation with the imam, hatta yansarif, until the imam finally finishes and goes, then for you will be the reward of having prayed the whole night. So that indicates that clearly, to get this reward, you need to be in the mosque, praying in the congregation behind the imam. 
So there are these various types of narrations that indicate it is uh, better for the men certainly to come and congregate in the masjid and pray that taraweeh, optional prayer in the masjid. And this is something which is established in the sunnah. The question then is, what is the question? Everybody knows the question. The question is, do you pray 20 or do you pray 8? And if you look into the books of fiqh, you could carry on those combinations until you come to 40 plus. In the books of fiqh, there are 40 plus combinations that are mentioned. Nowadays people know two combinations, 8 or 20. In the books of fiqh, they mention 40 plus combinations. 33, 36, 40, all types of numbers, different combinations are mentioned in the books of fiqh. So how many do you pray? How many raka'at are supposed to be prayed? 8 or 20 as people commonly know it now. But often, if you look into the books of fiqh, you will find many, many more opinions than just 8 and 20. Up to 40 plus, 44 if I remember correctly. Opinions about the number of raka'at for the taraweeh, for the night prayer. With regards to this, <coughs> there are some scholars who have mentioned that a person should not go beyond how many? Maximum, some scholars say you should never go beyond 13. With the witter included, everything 13. That is in some narrations. Other narrations, they say only up to 11. 11, when people think about it, how they think about it, 8 taraweeh, 3 witter. 11 raka'at altogether. So in some narrations, it mentions 11 maximum. In other narrations, 13 maximum, with the witter at the end. That is what some scholars say. What is the... Uh, uh, reason, what is the reason for stating that it is only up to that number maximum? The hadith about Aisha radiallahu anha, Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned about the Prophet that he in his life never prayed more than 11 and in the other narration 13 during the night. So the Prophet himself never went above that number. Hadith, authentic. So some of the scholars say, it is very simple in that case. The Prophet ﷺ never went over this particular number, 11, as you think about it now, 8 taraweeh and 3 witr, the way people think about this. So 11 raka'at. Or 10 in pairs, up to 10, and then 3 witr, as people think about it. So 11 and 13 raka'at. That is all the Prophet ﷺ ever did. He never went beyond that. So some scholars say, that is it. You stick to that. Why are you going to pray more and above what the Prophet ﷺ used to pray? <coughs> However, other scholars, they say, it is not restricted to that number. And you can pray more. But what is the proof? Why will they say you can pray more? Two by two and then you finish with the one account with 
So there is a hadith where a person came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him how to pray the night prayer, the taraweeh. How to pray the night prayer. That was the question. How to pray the night prayer. The Prophet ﷺ responded by telling him, pray in twos. Mathna, mathna. Pray in twos. Two, then salam. Start again, two, then salam. Two again, salam. Two again, salam. How you pray that? Taraweeh. He said to him, pray in twos. And then at the end, do the odd number for the witter. That's all he mentioned to him. Did the Prophet ﷺ mention to him, pray in twos until you get up to eight, and then stop and do the three witter and that's it. He did not restrict the individual to a particular number. He just said to him, pray in twos, as many as you want. Pray in twos. He left it open. But at the end, make sure you do it odd as the witter, and then you finished. The scholars, they say, this is a proof that you can pray as many as you want for the night prayer. In twos, 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 as many as you want. Just make sure at the end you do the odd number witter, and you're done. Because in this hadith, the person came to ask the Prophet ﷺ how to pray the night prayer. The Prophet ﷺ explained to him the manner of praying in twos. Did the Prophet ﷺ tell him a restriction on the number? He didn't. Was that a vital piece of information in this question or not? If somebody came to you now and said, Tell me about the taraweeh prayer. What am I supposed to do? Wouldn't one of the most obvious things you would tell him then be the number that you're supposed to pray? That you pray in twos, but make sure you don't go over 11. And make sure you don't go over 13. Wouldn't that be the most obvious thing you would tell somebody who came to ask you how to pray the taraweeh? So why did the Prophet not tell him that? Why didn't he tell him? Pray in twos, but remember, don't go over more than 11 or 13. Why did the Prophet not tell him? They say in fiqh, تَأْخِيرُ الْبَيَانِ عَنْ وَقْتِ الْحَاجَةِ It is not permissible to delay giving some vital information from the point of necessity. This man came in a necessity, in a need to find out how to pray taraweeh. Right now he needs to know what to do, how to do it so you can do it. So what are the types of things you need to tell him? All of the vital things about the taraweeh. Tell him how to pray in twos. Tell him how many to pray. Yes? So the fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell him how many to pray, didn't give him any restriction, means this man would have gone away and prayed in twos, 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 maybe a hundred raka'at. And then done with her at the end. Possible or not? Very possible. He may have gone and done 40 raka'at and then with her at the end. Possible or not? Possible. The Prophet ﷺ didn't tell him stop at this number or that number. And was this question not a time of need? He needs to know all of the details about that issue now. Not permissible to hide any of the information or to delay explaining it to him.
So the scholars say this indicates the number of raka'at to be prayed couldn't have been a vital piece of information. It wasn't a vital piece of information. That's why the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell him. Hence, that indicates the Prophet ﷺ was happy to leave the affair open with this man. Twos, 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 and then as you please. Because if that was not the case, and it could only go to a certain number there and then, the Prophet ﷺ would have told him as a vital piece of information, twos, 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 but only up to this particular number. Hence, based upon that and some of the narrations, some of the scholars say that the issue of taraweeh is open. You can pray more than eight rakaat. You could pray 12, 14, 16, 20, 22, 24, 30, 36, and do the witr at the end. They say it is open. It is possible it can be left open based upon these evidences. And that is the opinion of some of the scholars, like Shaykh Al-Fawzan and others. They say it is open. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, Lahu an yusallia ishrina raka'ah. A person could pray 20 if they wanted. Kama huwa mashhur min madhabi Ahmad wa Shafi'i, as it is famous from the madhab of Ahmad and Shafi'i. Walahu an yusallia sittan wa thalathin. And you could pray 36 if you wanted. Kama huwa madhabu Malik. Like Al-Imam Malik in his madhab it mentions, وَلَهُ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ إِحْدَ عَشَرَةَ رَكَعَةً وَثَلَاثَ عَشَرَةَ رَكَعَةً And he could stick to just 11 or 13. كُلُّ حَسَنٌ All of that is okay, it's good. فَيَكُونُ تَكْثِيرُ الرَّكَعَاتِ أَوْ تَقْلِيلُهَا بِحَسَبِ طُولِ الْقِيَامِ وَقِصَرِهِ This is a very important point now. He says, the number of raka'at you pray, it is open, but it will depend on the manner you are praying. In the manner that you are praying in. If you are praying a large amount of recitation, you are going to recite a large amount of recitation, and you're going to make your ruku' and your sujood relatively short. In that case, you could pray multiple raka'at. You could pray multiple raka'at. On the instance where you're going to pray a shorter amount, a shorter amount with longer sujood and longer ruku' then you could pray eight. Because those eight with the longer ruku', the longer sujood, will end up being the equivalent of twenty. Twenty where the recitation in fact itself is shorter, and the ruku' and the sujood is shorter, the prayer overall every two raka'at are a bit shorter. Hence you could pray twenty. But whereas in the eight, your sujood is long, your ruku' is long, your recitation is long, so even though you've only prayed eight, the time taken will be the same as the ones who prayed twenty. So the point he's making is, it depends in the style of how you pray. If you're going to make them long, then the number you pray would be different to if you're going to make them short. So this is what Shaykh al-Islam mentioned. However, it is a great, great error how some of the people in some of the mosques pray, and you could put inverted commas around the word pray, 
their taraweeh prayer, where it is so fast, so quick, that you cannot even make out what is being recited. You literally cannot work out what the words are that he is reciting. <coughs> the words are not pronounced properly. The letters are not pronounced properly. He is speeding through to try and finish the Qur'an. That is a great mistake. When we talk about how you pray, and that will determine the number of raka'at you pray, that doesn't come into in any way, shape or form, the type of thing some of these mosques they do. When they speed through the taraweeh prayer so quick, you can't even tell what's being recited, where he is, what he's reciting, what the words are. That is incorrect. And the shaykh, he mentions this is something dispraiseworthy and something wrong that the people, they pray taraweeh in that way. That is not how it's to be done. It is to be done calmly. The recitation to be done properly for the people to listen and understand and ponder. Not to race through it for the sake of being able to finish the Qur'an. Rather to understand what's going on. So that is something which is incorrect that a person speeds through so fast that it becomes uh, inaudible in terms of the words and the pronunciation. The Shaykh even mentions, وَهَذَا تَلَاعُبْ بِالْعِبَادَةِ They are just messing around with this worship. Taraweeh is an act of worship. It is not to be messed around with as some of these people do. Up and down, up and down. And you don't know what they're doing. You can't even keep up with what's going on. You're barely just finishing your ruku' and they've already finished their third rak'ah. Where are you? This is how quick they are in some of the places. And that is completely wrong. The Shaykh says they are playing around. That is messing around with this worship. This is an act of worship. Not to be messed around with in that way. So that is the taraweeh prayer in brief. Then we come to maybe the core of the issue today, which is the sunnah prayers that go with the obligatory prayers. There are certain sunnah prayers that you're supposed to pray with all of the obligatory prayers. Correct? So when you pray fajr, two raka'at for fajr. But there is also two sunnah that you pray as well. When you pray dhuhr, are there not other sunnah ones around the four fard? Yes. When you pray maghrib, are there not other sunnah ones around the three maghrib? Yes. What are these sunnah ones that go around the obligatory prayers? These sunnah prayers that go with the obligatory prayers are known as the ratiba, the rawatib. Those prayers that are specifically linked to the obligatory prayers. So let's have a look at the particular prayers you're supposed to pray along with the obligatory prayers. These prayers again are prayers that you are really, really supposed to pray. And it is makruh to abandon them. To abandon these other supererogatory prayers that go with the obligatory ones all the sunnah that go with the obligatory, if you don't ever bother to pray them, the shaykh mentions it is makruh. It isn't something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray them. You should really pray them. وَمَنْ دَاوَمَ عَلَى تَرْكِهَا سَقَطَتْ عَدَالَتُهُ عِنْدَ بَعْضِ الْأَئِمَّةِ As we said, somebody who never prays them, 
then some of the scholars used to say, the honor, the dignity of that person is gone. You can't take his word for it when he comes and tells you things, not sure if he's really trustworthy. He never even prays any of his sunnah prayers. This is how some of the scholars were. This was the dignity of a Muslim, the honor of a Muslim, the trustworthiness of a Muslim. They said, this person, he never ever even prays any of the sunnah. Just comes quickly, prays the fard and that's it. Never anything else. This person, don't know if he can really trust him. Don't know if he can really trust that kind of person, his dignity, his honor. It's all over the place. Never prays the sunnah, never abandons them and neglects them altogether. The a'imma, the scholars used to look down on this very badly. So now then, talking about these, Firstly, firstly, there is a narration that mentions 12. And in some narrations only 10. There is one narration that mentions there are 10 raka'at of optional prayers linked to the obligatory prayers. In another narration it mentions there are 12 raka'at that are linked to the obligatory prayers. Firstly, we'll do this. Fajr has linked to it how many other raka'at? Two. As you say, two sunnah, two fard. So it has two linked to it. Dhuhr has how many linked to it? In one narration, only two are mentioned. In one narration, only two are mentioned. In one narration, four are mentioned. And in some narrations, we'll come to six are mentioned. We'll come to those differences in a moment. Asr. Four are mentioned. We'll come to that in a moment too. Maghrib. Three is the actual fard. Then how many more afterwards? Two. And after Isha, two. So the ten, the hadith which mentions ten, where do you get the ten from? Two with Fajr, four with Dhuhr, two with Maghrib, two with Isha. How many? Ten. Ten. That adds up to ten. Look at this now, the Shaykh will mention this. I know people are going to say there's much more than that. Is that all there is? You've always been taught all of those combinations. Four, three, two, three, two, four. All those combinations. There's many more than what we've mentioned here. But to start with this first. Here there is a narration which mentions that there are ten raka'at to be prayed. Let's look at that first. Two raka'at before the Dhuhr prayer. Some scholars, they say four raka'at before the Dhuhr prayer, and that's when you end up with 12 then. 10 or 12. That's the two combinations we're looking at first. 10 or 12. It will be 10 if you say there are only two raka'at before Dhuhr. And some of the scholars, they say four raka'at before Dhuhr. Then there are two raka'at after Dhuhr. Two raka'at after Dhuhr. So far, what have we done then? 
<coughs> Some scholars say for dhuhr there are how many before it? Just two. And how many after it? Two. Other scholars say before dhuhr there are four and after it two. Asr, nothing. Maghrib, two after it. Isha, two after it. Fajr, two before it. Those now add up to your 10 and 12. If we say two before Fajr, two before Zuhr, two after Zuhr, two after Maghrib, two after Isha equals 10. If we say two before Fajr, four before Zuhr, two after Zuhr, two after Maghrib, two after Isha, 12. These are the ones that are mentioned in the narration. There's a hadith from Ibn Umar, Abdullah Ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhuma, he said, حَفِظْتُ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَشْرَ رَكَعَاتِ I memorized from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 10 raka'at. Raka'ataini qabla dhuhr, two raka'at before dhuhr. وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَهَا Two after Dhuhr. وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْمَغْرِبِ Two after Maghrib. وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْعِشَاءِ Two after Isha. وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ قَبْلَ السُّبْحِ And two before Fajr. But then there is in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, from Aisha رضي الله عنها, she mentioned the same, but instead in that narration it says before Dhuhr there were so this is the initial narrations that speak about the rawatib. 10 or 12 depending on whether it is 2 or 4 before Dhuhr. But then if we come to these combinations that people have learned from childhood, these various combinations on these prayers, let's start with the Fajr prayer. The Fajr prayer, there is no difference over it. With the Fajr prayer, there are how many ratiba? The two before the Fajr prayer. These two raka'at are highly, highly emphasized. And the Prophet ﷺ used to pray them even when traveling and on journeys. And it is sunnah to make them long or short? To make them short. And the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in them what? قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ And there are other narrations about other ayat too. So if a person was to come into the masjid, as soon as the adhan goes for fajr, and there is still half an hour before the jama'ah, before the congregation. So he decides, I need to pray my two sunnah for fajr. The adhan has just finished. The congregation will be in half an hour. I will pray my two sunnah of fajr half an hour long, reciting half of Surah Al-Baqarah. His prayer, will it be accepted or not? Accepted, of course, no doubt. 
But has he performed the sunnah? He has not. Because the sunnah in that case, <coughs> for the two rakaat of fajr is to make them light, not to make them long. Praying any other supererogatory prayer in that time? Allowed or not? Not allowed. After the adhan of fajr occurs, then there is no other prayer apart from the two sunnah of fajr and the two fard of fajr itself. In one narration, an individual was praying multiple prayers after that fajr adhan. And Ibn al-Musayyib, Rahimahullah saw him. And he prohibited him from praying. The man said to him, Ya Aba Muhammad, Ayu'aqibunillah ala salah? Abu Muhammad, Ibn al-Musayyib, the one who prevented him from praying. He said to him, Abu Muhammad, is Allah going to punish me for praying? So then what did Ibn al-Musayyib say to him? لا. He said, no, Allah won't punish you for praying. لكن يعاقبك على خلاف السنة. But Allah will punish you for opposing the sunnah. After the fajr adhan, there is no other sunnah to pray. Only the two sunnah of fajr and that is it. So when a person prays more than that, he has opposed the sunnah of the Prophet not something legislated to do. So those two rakaat, there is no issue regarding them. There is a great virtue in them. Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned, Raka'ata al-Fajr, khayrun min dunya wa ma fiha. That the two rakaat of Fajr, the two sunnah, are better than this world and everything within it. Better than this world and everything in it. Lahuma ahabbu ilayya min dunya jami'a. Those two raka'at are more beloved to me than the whole of this world. And she also mentioned, لم يكن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم على شيء من النوافل أشد منه تعاهدا على ركعتي الفجر. The Prophet never used to stick to praying any supererogatory prayers more than the two sunnah of fajr. So that is something clear regarding those two raka'at. Then we move on to the dhuhr prayer. The Dhuhr prayer. Here now you have that issue where some scholars say it is two before, two after. If that was the case, your combination would be two, four, two. But other scholars say it is actually four, two, uh, sorry, four, four, two. Some scholars will say it is four, four, two. The ones who say, that it is four. Then it is mentioned, "Imma an tu salla arba'in qabla salatil dhuhr wa arba'in ba'daha, wa imma an tu salla arba'in qabla salatil dhuhr wa thnatayn ba'daha, wa imma an tu salla thnatayn qabla salatil dhuhr wa thnatayn ba'daha." Here, the Sheikh mentions Sheikh Muhammad Bazmul three combinations. <coughs> Four before Dhuhr, then the four fard of Dhuhr, then four after Dhuhr. He mentions there are some narrations indicating that even. But many of the scholars they mention four before Dhuhr, 
then the actual four of Dhuhr, then the two after it. And some of them say just two before Dhuhr, then the four fard of Dhuhr, then two after Dhuhr. The ones who say that it is four before Dhuhr, then the four fard of Dhuhr, then two, how do you pray those four before Dhuhr? How are the four to be prayed before Dhuhr? But you do two, and then salam, and then another two, or do you pray them all four in one go? So it isn't something which is a sticking point. There are scholars who have mentioned from some narrations, you pray it as two and two. And if a person ended up praying it as all four, it is acceptable. They mention it would be acceptable. And it would be correct. It's not something you would say is wrong and impermissible. So they do mention two and two. As most of them say, that the prayer is in twos. The prayer of the day, just like the prayer of the night, is in twos. So the one who says it is four, four, two, it should be in reality in the numbers, two, two, four, fard, two after it. That would be the combination upon that opinion. If it was just two, then it would be two, four, two. So that is with regards to the Dhuhr prayer. And there are various ahadith and narrations uh, regarding it. What if a person, for whatever reason, didn't manage to pray his two or four before Dhuhr? And he only made it to the mosque and the congregation for Dhuhr is praying. Can he make up those sunan after Dhuhr or not? No. Yes. The Shaykh mentions, مَنْ فَاتَتْهُ قَبْلَ الظهر. The person who misses his four before the Dhuhr. صَلَّاهُنَّ بَعْدَ صَلَاةِ الظهر. He can. It is mentioned by some of the scholars, you can pray them after Dhuhr too. There is a narration from Aisha radiallahu anha, أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ كَانَ إِذَا لَمْ يُصَلِّ أَرْبَعًا قَبْلَ الظُّهُرُ صَلَّهَا بَعْدَهَا That the Prophet ﷺ, if he never managed to pray the four before Dhuhr, he would pray them after it. And that is something the scholars mention, and there are some other narrations as well, that it could be allowable that a person, if he for some reason wasn't able to pray these rawatib that go before the prayer, that he could make them up and pray them after the prayer. فَالْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مَنْ فَاتَتُ الْأَرْبَعَ الرَّكَعَاتِ قَبْلَ الظُّهُرِ صَلَّاهُنَّ بَعْدَ فَرْضِ الظُّهُرِ مُطْلَقًا This narration seems to indicate that it is allowed to pray them afterwards. However, the issue that the scholars bring is that this particular narration has doubts over its authenticity. And if there are doubts over the authenticity, then it cannot be established that the ruling is you're allowed to make them up after the prayer. So that's where the difference occurs there with regards to whether it is allowed or not. But as they say, to exit yourself, to remove yourself from the difficulty of this difference, then you should just ensure and make time and be careful that you pray the rawatib that go before the prayer, before the prayer. Arrange yourselves and fix yourselves that you are ensuring your rawatib are prayed on time, then you don't need to get involved 
in these issues of is it allowed to make it up, is it not allowed to make it up. So that is Dhuhr. Basically we've come to the conclusion, generally speaking most scholars will say your combinations are either two, four, fard, and then two. Uh, so two sunnah, four fard, two sunnah, as the people learn it. Or you could say two sunnah, two sunnah, four fard, two sunnah. Or you could say four sunnah, four fard, two sunnah. That is the combinations mentioned for the rawatib. Any nawafil, that's an open affair. Those are the ones that we mentioned are open. But the rawatib that have been mentioned specifically attached to every prayer, they are the combinations uh, majoritively mentioned by the scholars. Asr. In the hadith regarding the 10 or the 12 raka'at, Asr wasn't mentioned at all. There were no raka'at mentioned for Asr, no sunnah mentioned for Asr. However, there are other narrations that do indicate there are Rawatib for the Asr prayer also. Ratibatul Asr min as sunan al rawatib allati thabata targhib fiha min al rasul sallam. How are they to be prayed? Ratibatul Asr arba'a raka'at mawsulat bitashahudaini kasalawat al rubaiya. Yusallim fi akhirihinna tusalla qabla salat al Asr. The Asr prayer, it is mentioned by some of the scholars that it is prayed as four raka'at, all in one go. And after the second raka'at, you sit down for the first tashahud. And then you get up and pray two more, just like how you pray the Dhuhr and Asr prayer itself. So they say there is a four sunnah prayer before Asr, prayed all as four raka'at. Prayed as four raka'at, you can sit down for the tashahud after the second, and then carry on. Other scholars again mention upon the generality of the twos, that it is two and two. Two and two, and then four for the Asr. So again, upon that, what can be mentioned for the Asr prayer is that there are four raka'at mentioned in some narrations that can be prayed, either as a straight four, as a normal prayer with a tashahud after the second, or in pairs. So those are possible for the Asr prayer. Maghrib. For the Maghrib prayer then, what is mentioned regarding that? Two raka'at. After the Maghrib prayer, two raka'at are mentioned. Two raka'at are mentioned and they are in that hadith that speaks about the one who guards over ten raka'at or twelve raka'at in the other version. Then Allah will build him a house in paradise. The two after Maghrib are mentioned there. So that is clear. Three fard, two sunnah. Normally people then memorize it as three fard, two sunnah, two nafal. But the nafal, like we said, nawafil are open. They are not linked specifically to the prayers. Here these are prayers that are linked and mentioned in the sunnah, attached to the prayers, obligatory prayers particularly. For maghrib, just two sunnah afterwards is attached as a particular prayer to it. Nawafil after that, nawafil as you please. So the combination there would be upon that, three, two. Three fard, two sunnah. Now then after that we come to the Isha prayer. 
So what is the combination for the Isha prayer? Four, two, and three? All of it. What's the full combination? Including the fat? <laughs> four. Four. Two. Two again. So four, four. Two, three, two. Isn't that it? That's what they used to say. Four, four. Uh, four, four, three, uh, four, four, two, three, two. Seventeen, that's what they used to say, correct. Here the scholars they mentioned, there may be some narrations indicating those other raka'at. But in the hadith that spoke about the one who guards over his optional prayers during the day, there are two sunnah particularly mentioned and attached to the isha prayer. After the Isha prayer. Four fard for Isha, then two sunnah particularly attached to it. One of the reasons perhaps why in some books you see multiple numbers greater than that, yes, there may be other narrations. There may be certain other narrations indicating that there are additional raka'at to be prayed. But on top of that, there is another prayer which is in a way connected to all five prayers. What prayer is that? Tahiyatul Masjid is not a prayer in of itself. Because if you were to come in and pray two sunnah ratiba, your Tahiyatul Masjid would be in it. There's another prayer which is mentioned. Between the, adha, the iqama and the adhan. Between the adhanain. Baina kulli adhanain salah. Between every adhan and the iqama. Is a prayer, two raka'at. You can pray two raka'at every time the adhan is done for the prayer. Then there's going to be some time, 10, 15, 20 minutes before the iqama is done. In that time, it is sunnah, you can pray two raka'at. That is mentioned. Hence the scholars, they say, when you do the adhan, you should allow some time in between before the iqama. So that whoever wants to implement this sunnah of praying two raka'at between the adhan and the iqama can do so. You shouldn't just do the adhan and straight away the iqama. Give some time. Sometimes there may be some necessity, some issue occurred, some delay occurred, the adhan, the iqama has to be done and prayer has to be done. Maybe. But otherwise, on a routine basis, there should be some time between the adhan and the iqama. Because the adhan, as we covered a long time ago in the chapter of the adhan, is i'lam bidukhul al-waqt. It is an announcement to alert the people that the time has entered, get ready and come. So you need to give them time to get ready and come to the masjid. So there is a two raka'a prayer between the adhan and the iqama. And so perhaps that sometimes the people add into their combinations. So for the isha, what is definitely mentioned is the two sunnah afterwards. And then after that, we've already discussed the witr prayer. We've already discussed the witr prayer. After that, we've discussed the night prayer. All of that then comes after the Isha prayer. One thing we also need to mention before we round off. A couple of things left. <coughs> uh, one of them is regarding the prohibited times of prayer. What are the prohibited times of prayer? We actually studied this a while ago. 
How many times of prohibition are there during the day? How many? Three? Two? Anyone else? How many times of prohibition are there during the day when you're not supposed to pray? Prohibited times of prayer. Depends how you explain it. If you explain it generally, then there are three times of prohibition during the day. If you explain it with more detail broken down, there are five. So what is the first prohibition? So after the fard of Fajr, from Fajr up until sunrise, is there any other prayer after that? In that time? Even from the time Fajr enters, as we've said, the only prayer there is the two sunnah of Fajr and the two fard. Is there any other prayer? No other prayer is there. There is no other prayer that should be prayed, other supererogatory, optional, just praying nawafil, shouldn't be done at that time. Praying general nawafil at that time should not be done. So that is otherwise a prohibited time. From sunrise itself, up until it rises to the level of an arrow, uh, uh, um, a spear, that early moments of the sun rising, the moments of it rising, no prayer should be prayed then. That is a prohibited time. Third, the peak, just before Zuhr. When the sun is at the peak of the sky, that is a prohibited time. Fourth, just before Maghrib, meaning after Asr you could say, after Asr, when it is approaching the time of Maghrib, that approach into Maghrib is a prohibited time. And the fifth then is, actual sunset, when it is actually setting itself, that isn't a time of prayer then. It's mentioned in the hadith, because the sun sets between the two horns of shaitan, it is mentioned in the hadith. So, those are five times altogether you could summarize into three. From the Fajr up until after the sun rises up to a spear level as one. The middle of the day as two. And from after Asr all the way until after Maghrib occurs, three. Those times are not times of general supererogatory prayer. So if a person came in after Asr, and there's time left before Maghrib, and he thinks I might as well just pray some nawafil prayers, nafal. Pray some twos, twos, twos. This half an hour before Maghrib. You cannot do that then. You cannot just pray open, supererogatory, optional prayers at that time. Prayers that have specific reasonings to them, you can, as many scholars say. So if you walk into the mosque half an hour before Maghrib, 15 minutes before Maghrib, prohibited time. But you can pray. Tahiyatul Masjid, because it is a specific prayer with a specific reasoning. 
So the ghawatul asbab, many of the scholars say that's okay, but optional open nawafil in those prohibited times should not be prayed. One more issue to come to, the Jumu'ah prayer. What is mentioned about the Jumu'ah prayer? Which sunnahs are there to pray with the Jumu'ah prayer? Some people say that you pray the full thing that you would normally pray for dhuhr. All the two, 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 four, two, you pray all of that. Even pray the four rakat, part of dhuhr. Don't people do that? That is incorrect. The Jumu'ah is the substitute for the dhuhr prayer. So you don't pray the dhuhr prayer now. The Jumu'ah is substituting for it. Some people think you've got to pray all of the dhuhr prayer and everything that goes with it. And then the Jumu'ah as well. That's wrong. So now then, what are the sunnah prayers that go with the Jumu'ah prayer then? Before Jumu'ah. Are there any sunnah to be prayed before Jumu'ah? No sunnah are evidenced as such that they are linked to the Jumu'ah prior to the Jumu'ah, before the Jumu'ah. Nothing is established as such. After the Jumu'ah prayer, what is established? Two or four? Two and four? So, it's either after Jumu'ah, you can pray two sunnah, and in some narrations it does say four, i.e. two and two. Two and then another two. Either just two after it, or two and two. Both of those are evidenced. There is a narration of Ibn Umar, he says, رَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْجُمْعَةِ فِي بَيْتِهِ That the Prophet ﷺ used to pray two rakat after Jum'ah in his home. Uh, and in another, another narration of Abu Huraira in Sahih Muslim, إِذَا صَلَّ أَحَدُكُمُ الْجُمْعَةِ فَلْيُصَلِّ بَعْدَهَا أَرْبَعَةِ When you pray Jum'ah, then pray four after it. So two is established after it, four is established after it. That is all that is established on the Jum'ah. Praying all of the rakat as if you're praying the full... Zuhr uh, prayer on a Friday That is from the misguidance of some of the people One other point to mention about Jumu'ah You walk in on Jumu'ah prayer uh, On uh, Friday And the ima, the, uh, the uh, Mu'adhin Is doing the Adhan just as you walk in So the khutbah hasn't started yet The Adhan is just going What do you do when you walk in? So you're saying the person walks in and the mu'adhin is doing the adhan that he should just pray his two tahiyatul masjid straight away even though the mu'adhin is doing the adhan at that time. So you're not saying it. <laughs> Anything else? So the other answer here is, if you walk in and the adhan is going on, then stand, wait, listen to the mu'adhin, repeat after him like the narration says, and then when he finishes, just pray some small two raka'at, which means obviously you're going to miss the beginning of the khutbah a little bit, and then join into the khutbah. Both of those are possibilities. As Shaykh al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala says, that you should do 
what the first option was. If you walk in and the adhan is going, then do not stand and wait repeating after the mu'adhin, rather pray your tahiyyatul masjid there and then. So that by the time the mu'adhin finishes, you are finished and ready to listen to the khutbah fully. Because as Shaykh al says, repeating after the mu'adhin is a sunnah, you get reward for doing that, it's mentioned, repeat after the mu'adhin. But listening to the khutbah, the Shaykh says, is of a greater importance than that sunnah. It's a greater importance on a Friday to come and sit and listen to the khutbah than implementing the sunnah of reciting after the mu'adhin. So for Jumu'ah prayer, as Shaykh al says, pray the tahiyyatul masjid even if you walk in and the adhan is going. You pray or two. Miss the repetition of the statements behind the mu'adhin on that scenario because sitting and listening to the khutbah from the beginning takes precedence, the Shaykh says. So that is what Shaykh al mentioned regarding that. And so that is regarding the Jumu'ah prayer, two afterwards or two and two afterwards. And it is mentioned the Prophet used to pray them in his home. But it is not a necessity. A person may not be able to, he has to go to work afterwards, whatever the scenario. Of course a person can pray in the masjid. But if you're able, then it is a sunnah that you return to your homes to pray that. That too, the scholars, they have mentioned it. That on occasion that it was seen that the Prophet Sallallahu if uh, uh, it was prayed in the masjid, a person may pray a different number compared to being prayed at home. The home one is mentioned particularly, that he prayed raka'atain fi baytihi. He prayed two raka'at in his home. But the other distinction, possibly, regarding if it's in the mosque, in the home. But generally speaking, Either would be permissible. If a person was in the mosque, after Jum'ah you pray two, correct. Person was in the mosque, after Jum'ah you pray two and two, it is correct. But then it would just be a, 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 an issue of what is al-fadil and what is al-mafdul. What is better, what is more rewarding, and what is mentioned regarding the Prophet's actions. But in terms of acceptability, both would be acceptable. There was one more issue. Or oh, is that everything covered generally speaking now about the nawafil prayers? Duha prayer, correct. So we had left the final thing which we will mention, the duha prayer. Duha prayer is that a person prays a minimum of two raka'at up to a maximum of eight raka'at. Two raka'at to a maximum of eight raka'at. And the time for the duha prayer is after the sun rises. After the sun rises beyond the level of the spear amount. Up until the sun goes to the middle of the day which now becomes a time of prohibition. So all of that morning time. If a person prayed the two raka'at of duha or up to eight raka'at in that morning time, that is the duha prayer. And there are uh, evidences clearly highlighting how the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that, and prayed that. That is the duha prayer, the, as in English they say often, the early morning prayer. 
The early morning prayer, any time after the sun rises beyond the length of a spear, up until the middle of the day in the morning time. A person prays two raka'at up to maximum eight raka'at. That is the duha prayer and that is also established as one of the optional prayers which has a great reward in it. One of the rewards mentioned regarding it is in the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned a person should attempt to do 360 charities a day. But then how does a person do so many charities a day? In one narration it mentions if you pray the duha prayer, it is equivalent to you having done that huge amount of charity for the day. This duha prayer, two raka'at. So there are great rewards in these optional prayers. That is just briefly something we've mentioned now about some of these optional prayers and their virtues. And perhaps the greatest virtue of them is that on the day of judgment, if there is any deficiency in your obligatory prayer, it will be these optional prayers that will be looked at to take them and fill the deficiency, the shortcoming in your obligatory prayers. So a person should strive upon them, particularly those 12 raka'at. Even if you can't do all of the longer combinations people memorize with all of the nawafil in there, Put that aside, but at least the 10 or the 12 combinations, 10, 12 raka'at in the day, those you should guard over and preserve. Great number of rewards mentioned for the one who guards over and preserves them. And it is better to pray them in your homes if you're able. Pray the obligatory in the mosque and the sunan in your homes if you're able. If the circumstances don't allow, then you pray them in the masjid. But you should guard over them. Guard over and preserve these optional and supererogatory prayers. The prayer is one of the most beloved acts of worship to Allah. One of the most beloved acts of worship to Allah. One of the proofs for that, when the prayer was initially obligated, Allah obligated it as 50 prayers in the day. Then it was reduced to 5. The fact that Allah obligated it as 50 prayers in the day, indicates the love Allah has for this worship, the love of Allah for this worship, the prayer that a servant seeks closeness to Allah through this prayer. So you should guard over that and you will see a great impact, a great impact upon the life of an individual who guards over his prayers. And that's in the Quran. How an individual is prevented from evil. Prevented from the wrongful acts, the one who guards over his prayer. And in other narrations, that the prayer, one to the next, kafaratun lima baynahunna, it expiates your minor sins in between. So the one who preserves and guards the sunan as well as the obligatory, you will see in of yourself how that increases your iman, how it increases you as an individual in your practice and worship of Allah you will see a huge impact and effect for the one who guards over these prayers, no doubt. So a person should strive and seek from Allah aid and assistance in striving over those obligatory and the optional prayers and guarding over them. So we'll conclude upon that point tonight and continue in two weeks insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.
If you miss an obligatory prayer, it depends on how you missed it. If you missed it on purpose, the scholars say, repeat it a thousand times, it will not be accepted from you. If you miss a prayer on purpose, you purposely mess around and the time goes out, and then you think, I've got to go pray now. That's your own fault on purpose. That's a different issue altogether. But the one who misses a prayer out of a reasoning, either he was asleep and he never woke up, he tried, he put his alarm and everything. Maybe the battery ran out, he didn't realize the alarm didn't go off. Some legitimate reason. Or he forgot. Something happened, he got involved in an accident, hospital, this, that, the other, he forgot. The time was gone for the prayer. Legitimate reasoning if you miss the prayer, then you make it up as soon as you remember as the hadith says. Even if it be at one of those times. Because you repeat that prayer then, or pray that prayer then, as soon as you remember. So the scholars say you can pray that, even if for example Fajr, you woke up late, and it happened to be at the time of prohibition. But now you've woken up, make the wudu pray your fard prayer. The fard you pray as soon as you remember, if you had a legitimate reason for having missed it. If you did not have a legitimate reason, you were messing around, you didn't bother, you were being lazy, then the scholars say, repeat it a thousand times, there is no qada for you now. That prayer will not be accepted from you like that now. So that is severe. Severe, the one who misses the prayer is on purpose. But if it is accidentally, you pray whenever you remember, as the narration says. He must pray it as soon as he remembers it. If a person has prayed with her before going to sleep and then ends up waking up to pray tahajjud, then how to do it and what to do? In that case, some of the scholars, they say, <coughs> you can pray the tahajjud, but you would have to add a raka'ah initially onto that tahajjud prayer in order to then make it even. Because now as you carry on praying, all of your prayers are odd numbered. You ended up the night on an odd number with your witter. You ended up on an odd number. 11 for example, you did already. Then you wake up and you pray, Tahajjud 8 raka'at. You've ended up with how many? 19. So you've ended up with an odd number. The scholars say, you can't do like that, you've got to make it even, and then pray the witter afterwards again. It's got to be made even and then pray the witr afterwards again. So that would require a witr afterwards again. What if somebody missed the witr prayer? Something happened, you prayed your isha, something happened, whatever happened, you didn't pray a witr all night. Next day after fajr, you remember you didn't pray a witr. And you want to pray it. Pray it, but how? So you pray it again as an even number. If you normally pray witr as one raka'ah, after fajr now you're going to pray two raka'at. You pray witr normally as three raka'at, next day you remember you didn't do it for whatever reason, you're going to pray four raka'at. You normally pray a witr as seven, if you forgot, next day you're making it up, you're going to make it up even as eight. You're going to make it up as even if you forget the night before. So we we'll leave it on that. Mm. The witter, Allahu Alam, because it's not an obligatory prayer as such, 
So Allah A'alam, if it takes the same ruling as the obligatory prayer, you pray it as soon as you remember it. Because it isn't a prayer of obligation as such. So that we'll have to investigate whether you would wait or whether you pray it immediately or not. But again, generally speaking, it's upon the same way as all of the other supererogatory prayers. It's mentioned about the Prophet ﷺ. He used to pray the two sunnah in his home and then go to the masjid for the fard. So again, if you can, if you're able, obviously with circumstances and way things are here, uh, mosques are far from the homes of people, etc. If you pray a sunnah at home, you may not even make it in time for the obligatory in the masjid. So it depends on the circumstances. If you are able to pray a sunnah at home and make it to the masjid for the congregation of the fard, then okay, so be it, good. And if you're not, then you come to the masjid straight away, pray a sunnah here, pray a fard here. But otherwise, praying at home generally, yes. If you miss the sunnah before fajr, you make it to the mosque and the congregation for fajr is going on. You pray the congregation, straight after it you pray your sunnah. And if you didn't get up, you were late altogether, you were late altogether and you woke up after sunrise, then in the normal way you can pray your combination, two sunnah, two fajr, uh, two sunnah, two fard. Just like in the example of the Prophet ﷺ on that occasion when they were delayed. If you what? If in a narration, I'm not sure. It is permissible to pray straight after the fard. Scholars are giving the fatawa on that. If there is a narration referring to that uh, regarding leaving it till after sunrise, Allah maybe. But there are fatawa of the scholars saying if you come in. At the Fajr time, then after the Fard, you can get up and pray to Sunnah. It can be prayed there and then, after the Fard prayer. Mm. So we'll leave it there, inshallah, in a couple of weeks' time. Next week it's on as well. Abu Iyad on Friday, and Saturday as well, the Grave series, the, the uh, Day of Judgment and the Belief in the Day of Judgment, and Friday the Seerah. So every Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday now. Make the times out for those two days for these lessons, inshallah. If we just mention one more point, somebody sent a question on the phone. What about people who do the qada prayer all the time? You know, you hear about people, they don't pray their prayers. At the end of the night, they get home from their work shift, make wudu, pray fajr, duhr, asr, maghrib, isha, only one go, half an hour job, go to sleep. Completely and utterly incorrect. Completely and utterly incorrect and impermissible. To delay a prayer out of its time, even one prayer, like we've discussed before, it's not allowed. You can't delay prayers out of their times, just like that. Sometimes there may be a legitimate reasoning, but otherwise, generally, no. Every prayer's got to be in its time. There's no such thing as qada like that. So, that is not correct for a person to do so. What if you got the sunnahs uh, the same way? So you got less time at work, you pray the fard, and then you pray the sunnahs and you go home. You know, for Zohar and... You know, All of them at the end like that. Uh, you'd have to look for a fatwa, ask for the scholars to see if that's allowed or not. To go home and pray all of the sunnah. They, they mention about making up the sunnah. There are some narrations. There are narrations in the process and did it. After the prayer. But like that, for the whole combination, Allah
That's a difference of opinion between the scholars of whether you have to say Bismillah when starting wudu or not. Many of the scholars say it is Sunnah Mu'akkada Mustahab. So your wudu would still be correct upon that opinion. Upon the opinion that they say it's obligatory, then you got to repeat it. No, that's an opinion of the scholars. Normally, when there is a command in the Sunnah, the Prophet says, as a command, you must do this or you must do that. That means it is obligatory, wajib, obligatory. And the same way, if the Prophet says, do not do this and do not do that, means it is haram. That's the default. But sometimes, a narration where it says, the Prophet said, you must do this or you must not do this, doesn't necessarily mean it's an obligation and a prohibition. It can just mean mustahab and makruh. But that will depend if there are other narrations indicating that. Sometimes you might find lots of other hadith which seem to indicate actually it is allowed but it's not good. So when you put them all together, you come to the conclusion that actually it's just makruh. Possibly sometimes. So that's what happened with this, with the scholars when they sought to find all of the other narrations regarding the wudu, they came to the conclusion that the command isn't a command in terms of wujub, it is a command in terms of uh, something which is mustahab. That's an opinion of the scholars. And other scholars, they say it is obligatory, you're right. That again, some of the scholars say, even in the bathroom, you can pronounce it. It is an opinion of the scholars. Others, they say, just say it in your mind. Say it in your mind, in your, in your mind you think it, because in the bathroom you shouldn't be doing the remembrance of Allah. In a, in a car, in a train, in any type of transport, the ruling for the prayer is, uh, we're talking about journeys, you're traveling on a journey, still even on the journey, Dhuhr and, Maghrib, uh, Dhuhr and Asr is together, you can't delay them beyond Maghrib time, so if you are on a journey in a car, train, plane, whatever, and you haven't prayed Dhuhr and Asr yet, and it's almost Maghrib time, you've got to pray your Dhuhr and Asr. In the mode of transport, whatever the transport is, the default is the same as your normal prayer. If you're able to go and stand somewhere, face the Qibla and pray normally, that's what you're supposed to do if you can. On trains, it's quite easy. There's always enough space and gaps and carriages where you can go and stand. should be able to do it. In planes, some of them have the specific areas. Even where they don't have the specific areas, some of these other airlines, even non-Muslim airlines, they sometimes allow you to pray. In the back where the canteen area is, where they have all the food trays, sometimes they let you do it. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they might not. They say safety, health, all that kind of stuff. But if you can stand and pray, normally face that direction, even in a plane, train, car, you may be in some big Range Rover, you can stand up, no problem, you should stand and pray. If you're not able to stand, if you're not able to stand, then you sit. Sit in the seat, but still find the direction. If the direction, you're going down the motorway, the direction of the Kaaba is that way. You can't get up and stand in your car. Uh, you can't stop the car for some reason. For some reason you can't stop the car or in a train which isn't going to stop for you, a plane isn't going to stop for you, then in your seat facing the direction of the Qibla, pray. Face the direction, turn your body towards it and start praying sitting down then. But the default is you have to try and stand. But the transport moving different directions. No, there's not, uh, for a train and a plane, it's not really much of a problem. Car, but really with a car, the thing with a car is ideally... 99% of the time, nothing's going to stop you from pulling over. You're supposed to pull over, get out and pray standing up. Train and plane, you can't stop. That's out of your control. 
then you try and find somewhere to stand. If you can't, you can sit. But in a car, you don't have the excuse to sit because you can stop it and stand. The default is you have to try and stand. So with a car, any service station, pull over. Even if you can't do that, you're out of time completely. Need be, pull over on the hard shoulder, go over the barrier and pray. You have to try and stand. If it was some real difficulty, you're in some motorway, there's roadworks, you can't stop. No stopping sign everywhere. Okay, you're really stuck. Passengers can all pray uh, in their sitting position. If it was a need, that's only out of necessity. Otherwise, you stop the car and get out and pray standing. Is there any need to do adhan before you pray? That the scholars, they mention as well differently. If you're not in the congregation, the masjid, you're going to make a congregation elsewhere. There are narrations. Make the adhan and the iqama. When there are narrations, the iqama is sufficient by itself. When you're under compulsion to sit whilst pr- uh, praying in the, in the plane or train, is that prayer to be repeated because you no. stand? If you pray in the plane and the train, uh, then afterwards... You don't need to repeat that prayer now. That prayer is legitimate now in those circumstances. It doesn't require it to be repeated. And that's why they say if you're in a plane or a train, work out the timings. If you're going to land in the airport, like for example, your flight is tomorrow, it's going to land at your destination airport at 3.30 p.m. or 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock is going to land. So you don't need to pray in the plane. They tell you you can't stand up anywhere. You can't stand. So okay, you don't need to. You could wait until you land and you've still got time to pray your Dhuhr and Asr before Maghrib starts. So work out your timings and see where you can pray. If your timings are such you can land and there's still time, then land and go and pray standing up instead of sitting down on the plane. But if you think your time is tight, customs, everything, you're not going to make it, then sit and pray on the plane. But they, they say work out your timings with the planes. Work out your flights, work out your times. Maybe you can pray before the plane uh, takes off. In the departures, you've got time to stand there and pray, pray your Dhuhr Asa combined there. Depends where you are traveling in the airport, etc. But you just got to work those out. Seeing as we're talking about travel, the common one that comes up, you leave Britain, which time do you pray? Do you use the time of the country that you're traveling to? How do you work out the time for Maghrib, for example? Maghrib is easy if you're on a plane. Then you just look straight for the sun. Okay. Maghrib is not an issue. For uh, And really, that can be the marker. That can be the marker. Because now, for example, if you're going anywhere, anywhere you're going, if you leave this country, you're heading towards something on a daytime flight, you've got one marker which definitely isn't going to fail, which is the sunset. At some point on your flight, the sun is going to set. And if it doesn't, then you made it to your destination before sunset, you can pray the Hurasad there. At some point, that's going to occur. So that can be your marker. Any time before that, any time before that, you can pray the Hurasad Asr. Not any time in terms of before it enters, but roughly... You can work out the time before Maghrib and that time period is there for your Dhuhr and Asr. And the Maghrib is your marker now. That's your cut-off point for Dhuhr and Asr. And it's not that difficult. If you set up from here at 9 a.m., your flight lands somewhere at 6 p.m. It's going to land at 6 p.m. their time. Their time, 6 p.m. Maghrib, you know, in their country is 5 p.m. So you know pretty much when you get close to that country, Maghrib is going to start. Somewhere near their country. Because Maghrib is at 5 p.m. at your destination. You're landing 6 p.m. at your destination. So you're going to land there after Maghrib. So close to your destination. Very close to your destination is where Maghrib is going to start. So you know now if it's a 9 hour flight. Maybe 4 hours before you get there. Dhuhr and Asr time is definitely in. So you can pray. So you roughly work out those timings. And you can pray when your Dhuhr and Asr is. Maghrib is your set marker. Fajr in the morning is a set marker. Those are clear signs, light and uh, darkness.
So, inshallah, next time then.